After her husband died suddenly, Sharon decided she needed a new start, away from Edina. Her kids were grown. She and her husband had saved up enough. In fact, they were thinking about retiring next year to take a three-month tour of Europe. So she had the garage sale of the century. She sold her house and moved to Loon Lake, Minnesota, in the smallest U-Haul trailer they offer. She'd been very involved in her congregation back in Edina. So her first order of business after settling in her new home was to find a new church. Sharon decided to try, where else? Loon Lake Lutheran first. A little congregation of about 35 members. From that first Sunday, Sharon was welcomed with open arms. She was invited to circle meetings. Some of the ladies remember what those were. She was invited, Little Loon Lake still has circle meetings. She was invited to Bible study, to dinner. The folks were really friendly. She kept going for a few months and was thinking about becoming a member. And then one Sunday, it was announced that Mrs. Udala was stepping off the evangelism committee because she needed full-time nursing care. And would someone please consider joining? Sharon felt eyes burning into the back of her head but Sharon liked talking to people. She loved making calls and writing cards. So she decided, she told the pastor that she would. She would be on the evangelism committee. She thought it would be a good idea. What they hadn't told her is that Mrs. Udala was the evangelism committee. <laughs> All by herself. She had sent the cards to the visitors, she'd made the phone calls, she'd even gone door knocking all by herself back when she'd been in better health. When she talked with Mrs. Udala, she told Sharon that when she'd asked for help, she was always told, but Mrs. Udala, you're so good at it. We're, we'd only get in the way. So Mrs. Udala just continued to work alone. It wasn't that she enjoyed it, she did enjoy it. She just wished she'd had a little help once in a while and told Sharon to expect that. Sharon sighed. So how come so many Lutherans are like the folks at Loon Lake? Why do we seem to be evangelism phobic? Well, that's kind of a stereotype on one hand. Not all Lutherans are that way. I've met plenty of Lutherans who who have enjoyed sharing the gospel, who have enjoyed talking about their faith, who've prayed for opportunities to share. But it isn't a whole lot, it's, it's some. Perhaps it's because we Lutherans don't have as strong of a history of evangelism as other denominations in the United States. After all, our church growth strategies in the United States relied on two main things. The first was immigration. People coming over from Norway or Sweden or Finland or from Germany, relying on those, those people for, for members. And then, after the immigra immigration dwindled, the second strategy was procreation. We couldn't bring in new members, we would make them. Plus, the Lutheran Reform Movement sprang up at a time when everyone was nominally Christian. That, that was the case in the 16th century. 
The pressing concern in Luther's day wasn't conversion as much as catechesis. It was the teaching that was bad, not the fact that people weren't being brought to Christ. But maybe there are other reasons. Maybe you associate evangelism with bad salesmanship and emotional manipulation. You might think of Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, or you might think of pushy evangelicals asking, Brother, have you been saved? Or maybe we subconsciously realize just what will happen if we welcome someone else into the Lord's family. Think of what happens when a child is born. The whole family changes when that child is born and is welcomed into the family. Everyone's functioning changes. Everyone adjusts to the new routines, roles, and responsibilities that come with welcoming a new person into the family. That's just as true in the family of God as it is in our own family. We start welcoming new people, they might want, they will change things. Things will change. It's especially true when the one being welcomed, in, as in this story, is on the fringe of acceptability. Philip has just finished an extremely successful mission to Samaria. The Samaritans, as you know, are already considered other, marginal, by Jews, including the Jewish Christians in the early church. In fact, the, the early church doesn't get out of Jerusalem until they're forced to by the persecution that Saul leads after the death of Stephen. It isn't until then that they start to go out. So we have this story here. Philip is, could, has finished this mission to the Samaritans. And after that, God orders him to go down this lonely, deserted road, this, this road between Jerusalem and Gaza. No reason is given, no why. But Philip obeys and travels down the road as ordered. There's a chariot up ahead. No big deal. Chariots surely travel up and down that road all the time. But the Spirit speaks. Catch it. And Philip runs. That's what the text tells us. Philip runs after this chariot. And who does he see in the chariot but what Luke calls a man, an Ethiopian, a eunuch. In the Greek, it's in that order. This eunuch embodies marginality. He occupies this vague middle ground between Israel and non-Israel, between powerful and powerless, between personhood and non-personhood. In the ancient world, Ethiopia referred to all of Africa south of Egypt. From Rome's point of view, Ethiopia was on the southern edge of the world as India would have been on the eastern edge, Spain would have been on the western edge, the North Sea on the northern edge. This man is obviously a black African. He's also a eunuch in the court of the queen, which means he occupies this weird nebulous middle ground between powerful and marginalized. He is in charge of the queen's treasury, which is an extremely influential position. He would have had the ear of the queen herself, However, he's also a eunuch, which not only means he can't have children, but that he can be easily replaced. That was the case in the ancient world. People would become eunuchs because then they, they would have access to these influential positions at court. 
However, they could be easily replaced. In addition to this, even if this man is a Jew, there are prohibitions in the Torah against becoming a full member of the community. Deuteronomy 23.1 plainly says that no man who is not intact shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. He is, so to speak, on the edge. He embodies the edge. Which makes this exchange between Philip and the eunuch so fascinating. This is an encounter that crosses boundaries, but it doesn't shatter them. It doesn't cross them in a threatening, pushy way. Do you notice what Philip does first after coming up to the chariot? He asks a question. He asks a question. The whole encounter between these two is made up of questions. There are no bad sales tactics, threats, or insinuations. It's all questions and dialogue. Only when invited does Philip start to talk about the Lord Jesus. Philip sees this man's dignity, his worth, and his humanity from God's perspective. And the man knows it. He knows it. He knows that Philip isn't trying to sell him something. Philip is inviting him into a new way of being. He's inviting him into a new identity in which everything he already is is welcomed and affirmed. He can become more of who he already is as a child of God. Notice what happens when the Ethiopian says, What is to prevent me from being baptized? Philip doesn't say anything here, at least not in the most ancient manuscripts. You notice that there's a verse 37 missing, and some scribe put it in there to make it seem like there was some kind of good order. Well, you have to believe in Jesus with all your heart first. That probably isn't in the most ancient, ancient manuscript. Philip doesn't say anything. Instead, they go down to the water, and he baptizes him. Philip doesn't say he has to observe certain religious practices. He doesn't demand assimilation into the way the church is already doing things. Philip, a Hellenistic Jew, is welcoming this Ethiopian, Ethiopian, a black African, into the rainbow family of God with no strings attached. In this age where we are finally waking up to the harm done by the churches and centralizing a particular cultural expression of the faith at the expense of others. This is an important message for us to hear. It's a reminder that God does not show partiality to our particular expression of the Christian faith. It is also an important message because it shows us that evangelism doesn't have to be so scary. The good folks at Loon Lake Lutheran Church don't have to run to the hills every time they hear the E-word. It's instead about recognizing the humanity and the worth of a person, just as the Lord has recognized our humanity and our worth. It's about recognizing the image of God before our eyes and sharing the very welcome that God has given us sharing the joy in our faith of knowing you belong to the family of God.
without reservation or compulsion. You belong, and all are invited to be just the way they are. Amen.